Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everybody, this is Pranjal Sharma and I'm hosting this episode for you. Uh, welcome to another interesting edition of CII Podcast today and we'll be talking about India's new infrastructure strategy. The government has been taking steady steps with the announcement of several promising initiatives to revolutionize the next generation of multimodal infrastructure development uh, in the country. But what is the new deal for India's infrastructure sector? What can be done really to make infrastructure the engine of growth for the Indian economy? We will have a great conversation with this with the Vinayak Chatterjee, who is an infrastructure expert. Uh, he is a strategic advisor to leading Indian companies with the Government of India, Ministry of Finance, state governments, as well as a multilateral and bilateral institutions in infrastructure planning and implementation. And of course, he's the chairman of CII's National Council on Infrastructure. More importantly, I have to say that uh, Vinayak is also a person who I've known for several decades and I respect him a lot for his vision on infrastructure, uh, which he has articulated quite uh, frankly and candidly over the decades. And I think he has guided the thinking on, on India's infrastructure uh, for not just the private sector, but for policymakers across the Vinayak. Thank you for taking time today. Thank you. Thank you, Pranjal. So uh, I'm, uh, I, I know that you have thoughts buzzing in your head, but I'm going to start by bowling a googly to you. The googly is this, then I'm going to speak about the USA. Now ask me why and you'll, and you'll realize how. On 5th November, as recently as four days back on Friday, the Biden administration was able to, with much fighting between the Democrats and the Republics, was able to pass a historic bill. This is the one trillion dollar infra upgradation bill for the USA. So on a podcast about India, Pranjal, you must be kicking your feet under the table to say, why is Vinay Chatterjee talking about Biden administration and the one trillion dollar US infra bill that has just got passed? Well, surprise, surprise, India's national infrastructure plan, our vision is 1.4 trillion dollars. 40% larger than US is. Now, just, just for a minute, think about that. Think about a country like India and think about a country like USA. Which plans have you seen ever? You know, which is 40% larger than the US allocation. So we are at 111 lakh crores for the national infrastructure plan over five years. We are actually bigger than the 1 trillion USA infrastructure plan over eight years. Now, that's something to tell you that India today is the largest infrastructure developer in the world, 40% larger than the US. Now, I hope that sets the stage for a fruitful discussion. But over to you, Prajal. Vinayak, you know, this is a fantastic uh, data point to look at. And clearly, uh, it, it's also reflective of the fact that India's hunger for infrastructure is reflective of its population, of its size, its growth and its potential. Uh, however, there have always been these challenges where we've always had great talk about uh, investing in infrastructure. But in many ways, uh, for the last few years, I would say decades, we've been tinkering and experimenting with different forms of ensuring what kind of ways can we invest. So I've always felt that India has not had a lack of resources, but really a lack of plan uh, of actual implementation. While the plan are, have also been, you know, well crafted, sometimes the implementation is is faulted. Sometimes it's the industry's fault because you know they look for short-term gains. Sometimes it's the state government's fault because they don't know how to implement. There is clearly issues of trust deficit uh, in the whole PPP format as well, uh, Vinayak. So, 
the question then is what have we learned from from the errors of the past uh, some are waiting some are unwaiting and how can we ensure that this data point that you talk about of india being the largest market for basic infrastructure in the world how do we ensure that it actually gets implemented in the way it is envisaged okay pranjal you know this whole business of infrastructure development public policy is such a very large umbrella under which there are so many so many things happening under that umbrella so many moving parts that for somebody who's listening to a podcast i actually just want to make it simple by actually suggesting a picture and then building around it so imagine a very very large aircraft very large the largest aircraft in the world 40% larger than the biggest aircraft in the USA standing on the Delhi tarmac right imagine that aircraft with four engines two on the left wing two on the right wing the two on the left wing is what i call public policy formats for developing infrastructure one of them is called the national investment plan and the other is called the national monetization plan now just keep the just keep thinking about the aircraft and the two engines on the left wing nip and nmp that is the broad structure now let's go to the right wing of the aircraft and let's look at the two engines that directly answers your question about facilitators and issues in implementation there one engine is called gati shakti and the other engine is called the national single window system for clearances and permissions so you've got four engines which are powering the aircraft nip and nmp on the right wing gati shakti and nsws on the left side now these four engines are supposed to take this mammoth aircraft lift it into the sky and deliver infra to india now and every aircraft faces tailwinds and headwinds right so let's look at the favorable tailwinds first and each depending on the time available one can always expand on each of these the favorable tailwinds are one the historic announcement of a dfi a developmental financial institution which has been long suggested by various advocates of infrastructure financing including yours truly it's called the national bank for nafit national bank for financing infrastructure development and mr kamath has few days back been appointed the first chairman god bless him best choice i think that's enabler number 1 that's tailwind number 1 tailwind number 2 is the new public procurement policy that has just been announced 29th october it is the media surprisingly hasn't taken it up with the vigor that i had expected nor has government announced it and it is very uncharacteristic that it has been announced in such an understated style but having said it the new public policy guidelines are a very very interesting and a very very positive reform number 3 is the political economy of infrastructure development people have now found that from roti kapda makan we have moved to bijli sadak pani and obviously to uh, shiksha and swast so the delivery of infrastructure is now a boat catcher so people are going all over the place developing utility linkages like water connections electricity connections rural roads etc etc and announcing metro projects so the infrastructure development thankfully has become a political winner of votes for the politician now that's an important political economy development which did not exist in india earlier we used to, i mean large portion of the 
democratic process was caste alignments etc but it's significantly moved to development the last tailwind is the huge global foreign direct investment interest in indian brownfield assets you know from the very big pools of capital like the canadian pension funds the gulf sovereign funds etc etc all of them have evinced great interest not in greenfield projects where they still see problems but in the nmt the monetization pipeline all of these people are willing to invest in brownfield operating assets including derivative instruments like inbits and reits so i have listed for you till now four engines and four favorable tailwinds now let's look at the headwinds because you did mention a few of them the first headwind to my mind is getting ppp confidence back somewhere along the line the biggest headwind is that about 100% of the national monetization pipeline and 40% of the national investment pipeline is dependent on garnering private capital both domestic and international that means the private capital has a belief in the independence and level playing field it has confidence in renegotiations it has confidence in arbitrations overall that it has confidence in the ppp processes unfortunately that is not true ppp has reached a nadir and it will take some effort to pull it up and depending on the time available we can discuss that things like uh, independent regulation kelkar committee report etc etc the next headwind to my mind is projectization you know by and large we have now addressed and put our arms around infrastructure finance availability but there is a very big missing piece that every commentator and analyst misses it's called projectization do we have enough projects on the ground to to be to enable do we have enough receptacles for the capital to actually pour into those projects the answer surprisingly is no and a big concern i will give you a simple piece of arithmetic the life of an infrastructure project from the first time you have started putting the shovel to the ground to its to its completion on an average is 4 years it could be 3 years but let's take 4 years which means that under the national investment plan the idea is to put 20 lakh crores of new projects on the ground greenfield right now if the length of every project is 4 years then to achieve 20 lakh projects on the ground every year you need a pipeline four times that size you need 80 lakh crores of shovel ready projects at any point of time now does india have 80 lakh crores of shovel ready projects the answer is a resounding no so the answer so it's not just about our constant conversations of financing 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 but assuming that finance is available and many sovereign funds have said it that while the capital is there they don't find ready projects to put their money in so projectization is a clear headwind which has to be attacked and the last headwind that i want to talk about before i pass the baton back to you is about lingering issues on implementation largely still land acquisition and the seminal problem there for the world to see and obviously a distraught japanese is the fact that the bullet train directly you know coming of interest from the prime minister and monitored by the pmo and high profile etc etc we are still stuck on the japanese on the on the japanese funding of the bullet train because there are land acquisition issues in a certain portion of maharashtra i am only giving you this example to say that this issue persists over and above other issues of removal of utilities and stuff like that so there are still bottlenecks in implementation and therefore what i've done for the podcast for the podcast listener 
is actually trying to create a simple mental image of a large aircraft, two engines, two engines which are frameworks powering development, two engines which are implementation enablers, four tail favorable tailwinds, and three uh, unfavorable headwinds. Over to you, Pranjal. This is, uh, you know, you've created such an interesting visual thing. I, th I think it also is worth uh, looking at an organogram based on what you've done. It's, it's quite fantastic to visualize. You know, you've talked about the fact that finance is not a concern. There used to be a time when finance was a concern because people were not willing to put their money. They didn't think it would come back. But uh, it's interesting to see that uh, there is now a, a strong feeling that you can earn from infrastructure projects in India. Still some glitches there, but the recent another data point that you know Fastac has earned about half a billion dollars uh, on highways it's, 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 is a good indicator to the fact that we are now getting into a user pay culture as well because infrastructure will work only if there is a user pay culture and in various projects from highways to bridges to uh, to transportation uh, and and even power for, for that matter we need to have a mindset where users are willing to pay so that is that is coming into place, I would say. But what you said about projectization, I think is critical because it is linked to several, uh, you know, parts of it. One, as you said, bringing that 80 lakh crores of investment pipeline is a tremendous task. Uh, so before I go to the next one, my question to you or, or is what needs to be done to bring that pipeline into, the, uh, into, into play right now? Uh, do we need state government? Do we need the central government? Do we need better financing agencies? Do we need new models? Uh, you have always uh, created and given options of new models for, for various sectors. You know, for example, uh, the HAM model for highways. Do we need to rethink everything to get that little acros back into play? We will have to because the point is that uh, I, I always joke that 99% of infrastructure conversations are about financing and only 1% about implementation. Whereas today, about 60% of the problem is implementation and pipeline and 40% finance. Similarly, 99% of conversations are about central government funding of infrastructure. Whereas the truth is that of total infra development, the sigma of the states together fund 60% of infrastructure and 40% is done by the center. So our discussions are always conveniently walk towards what the center is doing, right? So the question is that to answer this question about projectization, I think we require a different cadre. Today, our administrative service, and I've spoken about this when discussing Gati Shakti also, and I'll touch on that later. Our cadres today are completely devoted on the field to law and order, revenue collection, and administration. Similarly, the secretaries at the government of India level and their, and their support staff are geared towards day-to-day -day administration, answering questions in parliament, creating policy papers. We need a developmental cadre that is there both at the state level as well as at the central level, who is only mandated with the task of overseeing the, the creation of new projects on the ground at the state level and the central level. Now, remember, each state also has a state planning commission, right? But you will remember how many times have we ever had any conversation about the role that the state level planning commissions or planning boards are playing? Nothing, right? So I personally think that a, a different cadre of officers carved out maybe from the central services, dedicated to the task and targetized to deliver ready projects 
emanating from the district level state level and culminating at the central level needs to be created otherwise we will have enough finance available we will have formats ready we will not have enough vessels to suck that capital so it requires a different handling from a machinery that does policy and law and order and administration to a creative role of development projects uh, including pushing gati shakti at the unit level i i personally think we need a different cadre that does 100% of this all the time vinay you talked about the new public procurement policy in a nutshell why do you think that this is a huge shift in the attitude of the government what has changed in the public procurement policy and what impact could it have uh, between uh, amongst the private companies which want to uh, work with the government how will it change everything it changes the mindset first i want to compliment the government on the bold decision to actually start the process of dismantling the famous l1 you know we have spent all our lives discussing and criticizing l1 which hands over a project to what is called the lowest cost bidder which is called l1 and uh, god bless us all thereafter because you often get bad apples and you get the poorest of the poor people of companies being awarded projects and the really serious players licking their wounds finally after decades of criticism uh, the government has bitten the bullet and i must compliment mr somnathan as secretary uh, expenditure to have actually piloted this notification through all the cvcs and the and the and and the law ministries etc to come out with this notification of 29th october i am a little surprised that the government has not tontoned it as a major reform because to my mind it's a bigger reform than many of the more uh, uh, louder announcements in in terms of see it's moved from a from lowest cost a winner to a quality based system where it's not just the lowest cost it's also what quality do you deliver because ultimately it's a public good so to that extent there is some level of subjectivity involved and which is a a, a problem and a boon at the same time because if you allow subjectivity then sometimes there are uh, you know all kinds of influences creep in uh if you just keep it number based then the scope of of subjectivity is not there but then you end up with absolutely poor projects because everybody is trying to cut cost in the in the construction to improve their margin and what you end up is a bridge that breaks so the qcbs method which is now been allowed by the government as a substitute for l1 is called uh, the 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 quality and cost based system India is not new to QCBS. Please note that all consultancy contracts have historically been allowed to uh, participate. I mean, been have uh, participated in QCBS. Most of the World Bank and bilateral, multilateral funded projects in this country have been on QCBS format. But the general rules of procurement, called in government the general financial rules, did not allow a universal application of QCBS to all government procurement. So today, what it does is it may it takes the first step. it says under two conditions one if a project is declared poq project of quality which means it is not a standard project of building a boundary wall right or if any any procurement is less than 10 crores then you are allowed to go not for the lowest cost uh, bidder but somebody whose quality and technical scores get a 30% weightage and his cost gets 70% weightage so it's a 30 70 principle now i am not delighted about it because india has been used to a 80 20 format 
for the World Bank and uh, consultancy projects. But I tell myself that it is a first step. Let the system get used to it. And the fact that we are now looking at quality and technical scores is a very major breakthrough from public procurement, from just by jiska lowest cost hai usko dero. Of course, the system is fraught with its challenges, but there are selection committees and the system is open to audit by CVC and CAG and all of that. So if somebody really tries to fool around with the uh, scoring or the determination of what is quality, I'm sure it will be brought to book. But it has worked pretty well in NHEI and many other instances in the last two decades where engineering consultants and others and World Bank contracts have been gone on QCBS. They're not, they haven't been great complaints. But over Greg, this is this is mostly for central government. Are the state governments also bound to accept this? I am not very sure. I have to probe with the finance ministry to answer your question. It certainly says government of India and PSUs. But the point is that when it becomes a tidal wave of that nature, the state governments in this case, I think, would be only too happy to come into line because the contracting community and the business community would also be putting pressure saying, why are you only going for L1? So I think it's a movement that's now going to take over the country or across all public procurement. And, and I think it is a reform that is indeed very, very big. And it changes the mindset of public procurement. And I have welcomed it hugely. But it's L1 is not the only change that has happened. Please note that industry has, in particularly infra and public works, has been complaining regularly about delayed payments, delayed payments, delayed payments. This procurement guideline takes it head on. And I don't know why the newspapers are not celebrating it because people have just not understood. It says very clearly that all running bills submitted by a contractor have to be cleared in 10 working days. And the balance 25% has to be cleared in 28 working days. And if the project is completed, then all due diligences and examination has to be finished and the final payment has to be made in 90 days. 10 days, 28 days, 90 days. And it says that if this is violated, if you, you will now start paying interest on this and the concerned officer has to explain why he delayed. Most importantly, the entire thing is to go online with the visibility to the private sector contractor. He should be able to see where his bill is and which date he's getting payment. Now, to my mind, this is something industry has been crying out for a long time and it's finally happening. Complete dandabaji on stopping delayed payments and transparency online that a contractor can see where his bill is and why it is not being paid. And that allows the government also to pick up organizations to say, how come your bills are not in time? And it, and it puts penal provisions of interest payment, which is a charge on the public exchequer. So the concerned officer has to justify to CAG why it has allowed payment of interest and why the bill was delayed. It's a big reform which is there in this bill in the in the 29th October notification also. Rank, you know, if I combine this with the GEM portal, uh, which the government has uh, for also procurement for SMEs, I think again, we are heading for a very fundamental shift in the way the government procures or hands out uh, contracts to private companies. One final theme I want to come to you uh, is about Gati Shakti. Gati Shakti has been announced as another big reform, but some people feel that it's repackaging of existing projects into a new new title. Uh, in your view, what is it about Gati Shakti that will make a difference to the way that, again, infrastructure projects are not just conceptualized, but taken to a final closure 
in in time to ensure that you know cost overruns which have been endemic in india etc uh, don't happen and not just at the national level but at the state level because gati shakti includes uh, the state governments as well so most people haven't actually understood what gati shakti is i mean i have read all kinds of funny comments in the media and they have just mouth whatever the government has said that it will lead to competitiveness and without having understood gati shakti is a gis based software platform right it has been developed by a venerable institution belonging to the ministry of it located between amdavad and gandhinagar it's called bisag uh, and it is india's specialized institution for geospatial and gis based software development what they have done is they have got a platform with 600 layers you know in a city or town there are stuff below the ground there is stuff on the ground like road and rail optic fiber pipelines etc and there's stuff above the ground it's got a it's and what it has done is it has linked all linked infrastructure pipes transmission towers road rail all of that linked everything into what is called economic clusters economic clusters are nothing today largely are standalone scz's if they are remote areas or cities and towns right they are the now in india has 6000 cities and towns imagine if 3000 of them the keywords are a macro gis platform it is a humongous piece of software which is then tracked by satellite no project henceforth is going to be cleared until the correlation between that and the gati shakti master plan is established so effectively i mean i could go on and on but effectively what it does is it breaks all silos that a railway is planning a railway line without any shall we say thought about its linkage with road or its connectivity to a port right etc so it breaks the silos in planning projects it breaks the silos in integrative thinking in 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 um, uh, implementing projects and finally it leads to better allocation of capital because finance is not going to be released by finance ministry until it has cleared the gati shakti group which is a specially empowered group being created in the uh, commerce ministry as a logistics group so the quality of planning the quality of implementation and the quality of financial allocation is going to be vastly different with this humongous piece of software that has been developed i personally think no other country has done it and therefore in a nutshell it has finally broken silos of planning projects it has broken silos of implementing projects and has and will and has certainly led to an integrative behavior which people like us were earlier saying that we should have an infrastructure ministry that coordinates everything now effectively what this government has done is it has not opened a new ministry but it has used the power of geospatial technology to achieve the same purpose but let me stop here vinay that sounds terrific and i know that this is something that you've been a champion of for several decades of integrated planning you know at a very basic level we've seen that our neighborhoods are dug up first by the phone yeah. line guys and then the power line guys and then the drain uh, uh, people yeah. at the largest level to have all these departments say that let's work together and do everything in one go i think is again a huge shift and and breaking of silos is is i think at the core of everything that you talked about in terms of infrastructure planning because bringing people together on the same table and deciding to implement a project is really at the core so with that vinay i'm going to thank you for for taking time today and uh, 
you know explaining things in a way that a lot of us would not have understood without your without your insights so once again thank you for joining us and look forward pleasure. to another conversation soon thank you pranjal that was a most interesting conversation i enjoyed it thoroughly thank you thank you for listening to cii podcasts